Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. So we are on week number five of our series called Fresh Air, Learning to Renew the Soul. And we've been asking what is required to keep ourselves in a pocket of fresh air even when the circumstances surrounding life may become a little polluted because life is what it is, right? With the joy of life and the beauty of life, there also comes trials and hardship and pain and turmoil and some chaos. And if we're not careful, life can easily get the best of us and kind of leave us in in a place of survival, just kind of going through the motions. And so we've been asking, what does it take to breathe again? To breathe in fresh air. Quick review. We said the first thing we need to be aware of is we need to avoid polluted thinking, right? We need to control our thoughts. If you want to change your life tomorrow, begin to change your thinking today. Because as we think, we become. Scripture talks about this very same thing. It talks about that transformation begins with what? With the renewing of the mind. Look at 12, Romans 12, 2. We'll put it on the screen. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Control your thoughts. I think polluted thinking is a leading cause to our struggle with hopelessness and, and just kind of uh, uh, maybe a low level of depression and, and what we struggle with because our thoughts are allowed to just run free and unchecked. Second Corinthians 10 says that we need to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, right? So control your thoughts, avoid polluted thinking. Week number two, we said if you want to breathe in fresh air, we're going to need to loosen the stranglehold of worry. Worry comes from the German word vergen, meaning to strangle or to constrict, which is a great picture of what worry does. It chokes the life from us. Week three, Brent Bailey gave a great message where he talked about, look, if, if you want to stay in a pocket of fresh air, you're going to need to protect the source. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life, meaning that if your heart is polluted, everything downstream becomes polluted as well. Protect the source. Last week, we had kind of an odd topic. We talked about vampires. Not the pale skin fangs, I want to suck your blood vampires, but people that when, when you're around them for too long, they suck the life out of you. You know when you do those type of vampires? They're not life suckers. Well, they're, not, they're not blood suckers, but they're life suckers. They're joy suckers. They're peace suckers. And, and, and their negativity rubs off on you. When you're around them too long, you just kind of walk away lifeless and depressed. And we said, if, if you want to experience fresh air, we're going to need to learn how to remain sucker free. Sucker free from the Urban Dictionary means this, to be free of people who only want to leech off of you, right? People who want to take and take and take. And we've kind of said, what does it mean to set up boundaries for people who may be a little dysfunctional in life or a dysfunctional relationship? What does that look like to remain in a pocket of fresh air when people around us, including ourselves to some measure, because we all are, are dysfunctional? All right, so week number five, we're going to look at the elusive topic of joy. Now, before I start, Understand that this message is not to guilt anyone who struggles with depression or is on medication. I've stated from uh, the stage before my feelings on 
uh, antidepressants and medication. I don't have any problem with them. I don't think it speaks poorly about you as a person, nor does it speak poorly about you as a follower of Christ. I have been on antidepressants in the past. I am currently off of them. Depending how this message goes, I may be back on them tomorrow. Okay, so let's just get that out of, of the way. So let's talk about joy. I recently read that on any given day, a third of Americans are in a bad mood. Think about that. On any given day, a third of Americans are in a bad mood. So let's just say this section right here, if this holds true, you're it. And you're pulling us down, man. Just get out. I can't even look at you anymore. Right? A third of Americans. <laughs> I was talking to somebody about that. They're like, I think that number is a lot higher than a third of Americans are in a bad mood. And that might be true. If you have kids, you know it's at least true. You have three children. One of them's waking up crusty, right? At least once, right? <laughs> a third of Americans are in a bad mood on any given day. Maybe today you would describe your mood as being a little uh, melancholy or lethargic or sad or gloomy, that life is in a slump, you've become somewhat despondent, uh, a little hopeless, maybe a little depressed. Back in the day, they would say that you have a case of the doldrums, not a word we use too often anymore. The doldrums is a state or period of inactivity, stagnation, or depression. Interestingly enough, I was doing some reading this week, the doldrums is also a strip around the equator known as the intertropical convergence zone. It's an area around the equator uh, at the ocean where hot, heavy, thick air rests over or near the uh, equator for hundreds of miles in every direction where the wind, listen, where the wind does not blow. Now, back in the day before engines and you re- relied on the wind to get where you were going when you were sailing, if you stumbled into the doldrums at the wrong time of year, there was a chance you weren't coming out alive. Because the wind just settled and you just rested there until your supplies ran out and eventually you died. What made it more difficult is sailors never quite know where the doldrums are. Because they would move a couple hundred miles from one day to the next. And so this pocket of lifeless, motionless, stale, thick air, it would drift on you. And one day you may wake up and you're in the doldrums. Has the doldrums ever snuck up on you where the wind was taken out of your sails and you wake up and you're not even sure why, but you're in the doldrums and life seems to be motionless and, and you just kind of seem to be going through the motions and, 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 and life just kind of sneaks up on us at times. But life was never meant to be motionless. And if we're in the doldrums for too long, we begin to go a little stir crazy and we begin to adopt methods of thinking and methods of living, patterns of living and methods of coping that are actually harmful to our well-being, looking for something, anything to fill our sails and get us out of the doldrums. So today I want to talk about this idea of choosing joy. And what would it look like to choose joy if we made a daily decision to open ourselves up to the possibility of joy? Meaning that instead of rolling out of bed each morning anticipating a struggle, what if our feet hit the floor open to the potential of joy that was contained in the day? And we're going to travel back some 3,000 years and look at what Scripture has to say about this. But I'm going to have you stand because we're going to read this passage together. Back in the day, we would stand in honor of God's Word. This is an all-skate, an all-skate direction, and we will read this together. You ready? Let's go ahead and put it up there. This is the day 
the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, let's say it one more time, right? Ready? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, stay standing. Stay standing. The psalmist is kind of pulling back the curtain, and he's revealing the potential of each day. One translation says it like this. We're going to read it together. Go to that next slide. Ready? This is the day which the Lord has made. We will be full of joy and delight in it. Now we're going to personalize it, so have your spirit tell your face. Ready? Ready? Go to the next one. This is the day the Lord has made. I will be full of joy, and I will delight in it. Now, just to kind of prep you, you can be seated, just to kind of prep you for a little bit of joy. Go ahead and run that little piece, will you? a baby laughing, right? All right. This is the day which the Lord has made. I will be full of joy and I will delight in it. The psalmist is telling us something. He's saying, listen, open yourself up to the possibility of joy. Give joy a chance because today is special, handcrafted by God himself. Yesterday is in the past. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so the question comes down is, what will we do with today? And the psalmist says, look, here's my suggestion. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will be full of joy and we will delight in it. So ask yourself this today. How will I respond to today? Pray with me. Lord, a great topic today on choosing joy, on having our spirit rise above circumstances and to choose to look for the things of God around us, the spirit of God around us, the truth of God around us, the joy of God around us. And so help us in this. Lord, I pray that you would, um, that anyone that struggles with depression, Lord, lift off any heaviness off of them. We're, we're, this is not a message to condemn them. It is a message that we can all work on together, regardless of where we fall on this scale of of, of choosing joy, but today, would we begin to do battle uh, on this front and begin to look and to anticipate the joy that you have packed into every moment and every day? And so come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us. For the offering, we uh, will give out of an attitude of worship, out of an attitude of placing you first, in our lives, even over our finances. And I know that's difficult because it grips us, but we choose to put you first and we give in an attitude of worship today in Jesus' name, amen. When my children were younger, their superpower was spinning in circles. They could spin for hours and hours and hours and they would never get sick. The last time I was on the teacup ride at Disneyland, about 30 seconds in, and a corn dog and a churro was going to war in my stomach, right? It was not the happiest place on earth. But I remember when my children were little, and they would walk up, arms in the air, and they would say, Daddy, spin me. 
Remember, and you'd, you'd, you'd take them by the hands and you'd start off slow at first and their little legs would be keeping up and you'd go faster and you'd go faster until finally their, their, their legs couldn't keep up and they were launched into the air and they would erupt into smiles and just squeals of joy and life was just fantastic for them. And it didn't matter how many times I spun them. When it was finally over, they would say the same thing. What was it? Do it again. Do it again, Daddy. Do it again. And Daddy would be like, all right. And Daddy would go again, and he'd spin him again. After about the eighth time, Daddy was like, I'm feeling sick. (laughs) Right? Do it again, Daddy. They would just keep asking. Do it. Do it again. Do it again. Nothing else mattered at that moment but the joy. Listen. But the joy of spinning. And children have the ability to live in the moment, extracting every ounce of joy from every situation. Every day... For my kids, getting in the pool was just as exciting as the day before. They were always excited. It was like it was a, a new adventure, and they were just ready to go. And endless horsey, back, uh, uh, horsey rides on daddy's back never grew old. They never grew tired of it. My children are adults now. Do you know the look they would give me if I got down on all four and say, you want a horsey back ride? <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> to ask my children... Do you want to play airplane or do you want to spin was an invitation to joy. One that they always responded to with yes. Today, if I asked them, do you want to spin? There would be no response. It would be an invitation that would go unanswered. It, it, because somehow we lose the childlike wonder found in simple moments. What happens to us as adults and at what point does life lose its magic and its lure? Listen to G.K. Chesterton who says this. Because children have abundant vitality. Because they are in spirit, fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. And they always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not, a strong, are not strong enough to, listen to that, to exalt in monotony. Psalm 118. This is the day which the Lord has made. I will be full of joy and delight in it. It's God's invitation to us. It's God's way of saying, do you want me to spin you around? Are, are, are you ready? You want a horseback ride? An invitation that's delivered at the beginning of every day with each new sunrise, God invites us, can you give joy a chance today? And he unfolds his creation before us. A sunrise from beneath the earth's curved rim and light breaks forth from the eastern sky and colors shimmering as earth is unveiled. The blue sky of a sunset slowly fading, giving ways to hues of orange and purple and yellow and blue. God says, can you give joy a chance? Listen to the rest of the quote by Chesterton. Because children have abundant vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps, I love this, but perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but he has never grown tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy or the do it again. For we have sinned and have grown old, and our father is younger than we. 
I love that, that our father is younger than we. Interesting thought that it's our sin that has made us hard and old and stale and grouchy like an old person in the line at DMV, right? That's kind of how we approach life sometimes. And life just kind of gets stale. And we are the ones who have become tired and jaded and worried and rushed and irritated and hurried and preoccupied. And life loses its joy when we begin to miss out on the simple moments of life, when we lose our appetite of infancy to rejoice in the do-it-again moments, the sunrise or a sunset or the giggle of children at play or the clutch of a baby's hand around your finger, a passionate kiss, a stimulating conversation, laughing until it hurts, a good book, a great movie, art that speaks into your soul, a long nap, a well-prepared meal, or just a moment of silence. And we've lost the ability to rejoice in what can become monotony to us. And yet every morning, God reinvents himself and says, here is an invitation to joy. This is the day the Lord has made. I will be full of joy and delight in it. Uh, Anyone have TIFG disease? Not TGIF, that's something different. TIFG is taking it for granted disease. Most of us do. Every morning we get up and we're given this glorious gift of life and a sunrise and we scream, go away! And yet the psalmist says, this is the day that God ordained, because yesterday is over, you're not guaranteed tomorrow, but this day, God ordained, will you accept the invitation to embrace joy? And in his joy, he create his, uh, his joy never Uh, diminishes in what he has created. And every morning, he invites us to experience it with him. This is the day, meaning that today, for all of us, is a day of decisions. Today is a decision whether or not we will be fully present. Today is a decision to clear the mind of the clutter and to embrace what God has ordained for us today. So I want to just leave us with a few thoughts on what it looks like to choose joy. One I'm going to spend a little bit of time on. The last four or five are just rapid fire. We're going to go quickly. Uh, but I just I kind of jotted down some thoughts uh, this week on this idea of choosing joy. Here, here's my first thought. If you want the fresh air of joy, go to that next slide, will you? We're going to need to learn to rest and to find your Sabbath. I've never experienced joy when my body, mind, emotions, and spirit were on the brink of burnout. It's never happened. Not anything that was sustaining. And we live in a world of appointments and deadlines and meetings and projects and errands and to-do lists and chores and responsibilities and soccer practice and dance recitals and band concerts and homeworks. And that's just Monday through Friday. And then Saturday rolls around and we have two days to get everything done that we've been putting off because we've been so busy during the week. Do you ever wonder why you're more tired Monday morning than you are Friday night? Is it possible that we're doing the weekend wrong? Is it possible that we're going nonstop and and, and we're missing out on this idea of rest? And I think for many of us, our lifestyles are consuming us. Listen to author Leonard Sweet. He says, the pace and pressure of a 21st century lifestyle has brought us head to head or brought us head on to another all-too-solid wall. Many of us have already slammed into it. The speed of light pace of postmodern living is exhilarating but exhausting. 
And just as a plane moving through the air builds up pressure in front of it as its speed increases, so our bodies and soul, the faster our lives speed up and zip by, feel the crush of growing pressure and risk the approach of a deadly, life-shattering, wall-slamming event. Warp speed can warp the soul. And we all know this to one degree or another. That we can be going so fast, warp speed, that it's warping the soul. I take comfort that this really comes as no surprise to God as our creator. He actually instructed us on a lifestyle that would keep us healthy. It's found in Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. He says, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Now the Sabbath simply means to cease. And so God's saying, remember the day that I'm setting aside for you to stop working to just relax. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work, neither you nor your sons and daughters, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor foreigner residing in your towns. For in the sixth day the Lord, in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Here's what this means in layman's terms. God's just saying, hey, brother, sister, you need a break. You need to rest. And if you don't learn this, you will not be at your best. God, a creator, again, I find comfort in this, says you need a day for you to recharge and restore your your body, your mind, your emotions, your spirit. You need a day that's just for you and set aside, set apart just for you. And so God ordained it as our creator looking over the curve of the earth said, I know the propensity of these people. I know the proclivity and the tendencies that you will work yourself to death. And so I'm commanding you. That's strong. I'm commanding you to take a day just for yourself and to cease from the hustle of life to renew yourself. Jesus said this uh, same thought, Mark 2, 27, when they were complaining about Jesus not observing the Sabbath. And Jesus said, hey, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, meaning that God created this specifically for you, a day just for you, because he knows our tendencies to overcommit and to spread ourselves too thin, and so the command is given. But somehow in our 21st century industrious thinking, Americans have, have, has, have, have come to the conclusion that rest means laziness. Look at what Gordon MacDonald in his book, The Hard Work of Rest, he says, somewhere along the line, most of us bought into productivity is the chief value in life. The lie that came along with this value is that the more we work, the greater the productivity. The end result, rest is dangerous to productivity. Is it possible that God as our creator knows something that we do not and that he knows that we will actually be more productive for a longer period of time if we live by his rules? And if we can enter into a designated time of rest for body, mind, and spirit. Exodus 20, verse 8 again. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That idea of keeping it holy means to set it apart or to make it different than the rest of your days. Now, whatever your Sabbath is, we're we're not going to, you know... uh, 
get legalistic and say your, your Sabbath has to be on a specific day because sometimes our schedules are, are off and they, they look different. But the reality of it is this, is that you need a day, I need a day, and I could be speaking to myself on this because it, rest is difficult for me. You need a day, I need a day to just recharge ourselves. And so you need to find a day for your Sabbath. I know it feels, you know, macho to say, I just keep going. Seven days a week, I haven't had a day off in six months, right? We brag about that. And we're headed towards a wall. We can't be our best for ourselves, for our families, for our friends. It's impossible. We're killing ourselves. And so we need to designate a day that is our Sabbath. If we want to open ourselves up to joy, we have to learn to rest. I'll say it again. I have never had sustained joy when my body, mind, emotions, and spirit were exhausted. I've just never had it. Matter of fact, I've had many of you when I've gone uh, too long without it, and many of you that know me well would say, your eyes look dead. What's going on? I'm like, yeah, you're right. Haven't had any time off. I've just been going, you know, pushing too hard and begin to wither and die inside. And so thought number one, if you want to embrace joy, if you want to give joy a chance, begin your Sabbath. Find the day that you can rest. Now the rest of these I'm going to go through rather quickly because we know these, but maybe something will stick. Here's another thought for you. Uh, If you want to embrace joy, give joy a chance, begin to savor everyday moments. Studies show this, that people who take time to savor simple everyday moments show significant increase in happiness and a reduction in depression. We're always looking for the next big thing, right? But the secret of life might just be being able to be fully present in the simple things of life and to be able to take those things in and begin to see the joy in them. So begin to embrace and savor everyday moments. Here's another thought. Put money and material things low on the list. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 6, 16, uh, in Matthew 16, 26. He said, hey, what good is it for you to gain the entire world but forfeit your soul? He said, what could you give that's worth your soul? Look at this, uh, that uh, Tim Castor and Richard Ryan, they're researchers who said this. They said, people who put money high on their priority list are more at risk of depression, anxiety, and low self-esteem. The more people sink satisfaction in material goods, the less they find them there. Material satisfaction has a very short half-life. And we know this to be true, but we get caught up in this thing that, that money and stuff is, is the root of our happiness and the root of our joy. But we know intuitively that it just doesn't work. Here's how we know. You were happy with your current phone until the updated model came out. And then suddenly you're like, this iPhone 7 sucks. The iPhone 10 just came out, right? And you're going to love your iPhone 10 until the iPhone whatever's next is coming out. Because we're, we're, we're just kind of conditioned like that. We always want the next new and the next better and, and you know, a little bit more money and a little bit more stuff. But intuitively, we know that it really doesn't give any sustaining joy. So put money and material things low on the list. Here's a thought for you. The access point to joy is not accumulation. It's appreciation. Let me say that again. The access point to joy is not accumulation. It's appreciation. There's that old saying that says it's not having what you want. It's wanting what you already have. Here's another thought. If you want to open yourself up to the potential of joy, serve someone. First Peter says it like this, each of you has a gift 
And you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various storms and its various forms. At some point, life has to become more than just about us. Scripture is pretty clear on this, that if you want to embrace joy, if you want to have a life of meaning and purpose, you will need to learn to serve someone other than yourself. Now, here's what this looks like all too often in the church world. We get our schedules really out of whack, and we're exhausted, and we're running too hard, and we have no Sabbath, and so uh, the first thing to go is we're going to dump out of serving other people, in this case, serving in the church. And so people will come to us on a fairly regular basis and say, my schedule's too crazy, uh, and I need to step out, need to step out of children's ministry, step out of greeting, or you know, what, whatever that looks like. And here's the thing, most of those people who step out never step back in, because the problem uh, wasn't so much just that they're serving. I know on paper it seems like, well, this will alleviate my schedule and I'll have margin in life, and yet the bottom line, it never works like that because you're actually removing yourself from something with under the right frame of mind that actually is refueling you. Some of you, maybe you stepped out of ministry because life was too, too, too challenging. I'd encourage you to step back into it. Right? There's maybe other places that you need to carve out some margin, but serving other people, I mean, that's, that's kind of a, a mandate. It's mandatory as, as followers of Christ that we should be giving ourselves away to other people. And so if you want to open yourself to the potential of joy, learn to serve someone. Here's another thought, letter E. Surround yourself with the right people. If you try to live alone, you will not succeed as a human being. Your heart withers if it does not answer another heart. And your mind shrinks if you only hear the echoes of your own thoughts. Here's another thought. If you want to embrace joy, begin to say thank you like you mean it. Now, if you, uh, l- l- there is a, a, a um, Dr. Martin uh, Siegelman who said, people who write gratitude letters to someone who's made a difference in their life score higher in joy and lower in depression, and the effects actually last for weeks. All right, so we got a few minutes here, so I'm going to ask you to dig out your phone. Come on, if you have one, dig it out, and I'm going to challenge you. We're going to take a minute, and I want you to think of someone that you can send a thank you text to. Now, if you don't have a phone, your challenge is that you need to go home, and you need to do this on your own and write a letter or an email, I would suggest don't send anything to me, all right? Think of somebody in your life who has had an impact. I'm serious. Think of somebody in your life who has impacted you, who has had a positive influence on you, and let's just take a moment, and I want you to write a thank you, something thank you to them, all right? Let's practice it. All right, you got it? Hey, on a regular basis... Begin to say thank you to people who are influencing you and who are impacting you and begin to develop an attitude of gratitude for the people in your life. Here's my last thought. You want to embrace joy, to give joy a chance, begin to be generous. Give it away. Acts 20, 35, uh, the words of Jesus where he says, look, it's just more blessed to give than to receive. Statistics show that people who are generous experience greater meaning and joy across the board. So here is God's invitation to us. Put up that last slide, will you? Let's uh, end as we began. Would you stand with me? God's invitation to participate in joy. Are you ready? Psalm 1824. This is the day which the Lord has made. 
I will be full of joy and delight in it. Now, your spirit is speaking over your flesh. Let's say it again. This is the day which the Lord has made. I will be full of joy and delight in it. Are you ready to open yourself up to the possibility of joy? Are you ready to open? Amen. We'll give this one. All right. I want you to, uh, let's pray with me. Go ahead and remain standing. Your job as you leave, I'm getting you out a little bit early, but when you see second service, you need to pump up the service so they get some life in them. All right? Tell them Jesus was on the stage or something. I don't know what you need to tell them. Just, we saw Jesus for service. He was wearing a radiant shirt. All right, moving right along. Okay, <laughs> let's pray. Lord, uh, it's a challenge for us because... We can so quickly, many of us, just allow our minds to go towards the negative things and to dwell there, but uh, we really do want to open ourselves up to the possibility of joy. And we want to embrace this idea that today is the day that you have handcrafted, that you've ordained, and we want to choose to delight in it and to be joyful. And so this will be our challenge moving forward, that we will choose joy. I pray for all of us that we would find our time of rest, that we will be healthy individuals. Show us what that looks like. Let us experiment until we find something that works, that that we will begin to be restored. You are our creator. You know something about us, and you know that we are not at our best if we go nonstop. And so, we open ourselves to joy. Joy that rises above our circumstances. Joy that rises above our problems. Joy that is supernatural, deposited by the Holy Spirit of God himself into our beings. Give us fresh air to breathe in life today. Breathe in life today. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and all the followers of Christ said, amen. Hey, next week is Mother's Day. We have Mother's Day photos going on. Make sure you drag everybody down here. I look forward to seeing you. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, we'll have some people up here in the front praying for you. Bless you.